I'm Jeremy Pleasant. I'm the senior pastor here at the Vineyard Church of Baton Rouge. I want to welcome you. I'm glad you are here today with us, and, and I'm really excited for, for today and this, this season. Um, so for those of you who don't know, uh, my wife's birthday is on Christmas, and so she decided she was going to celebrate all month long. I told her we are not celebrating all month long, that we will celebrate on that day and no other day. But if you know my wife, I probably won't win this argument. So we'll see how that goes for, for all of us um, this month. What's that? Listen, listen. Um, got the you know, hecklers up here up front. So, uh, so before we actually dive into um, to everything today, there's one more announcement that I want to share um, but, but, but first, on the, on the adoptive family that we talked about, um, so the family we worked with uh, last year, I had heard from them a couple months later. And um, the, the situation, so we, we intentionally are, are looking for and working with families that are just kind of in tough times, all right? We want to actually display the love of God as much as possible, and, and we try to do so um, with families in our larger Baton Rouge community. And, and, and we heard back from this family, and they were just astounded. They were like, but we don't go to that church. But we're, we're strangers. Why, why, why would they do that? And this mom who has just endured a lot, especially as a single mom, was just was overjoyed and just couldn't, couldn't believe of that expression of love. And so... This is why we do this. You know, we all have responsibilities during the holidays, and we all have um, families and, and all those things. Um, but it's, it's really important to, to consider and think about how we can be the hands and feet of Jesus, especially in this time. And uh, it, it, has a, it has a real impact. And so what you can do, you do. And, and if, if you, whatever you can't do, you, you know, it's all good, and we pray, and, and, and we work together. So, all right, our last announcement. Um, starting in, so in April, I'm, 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 I'm going off the top of my head right now because I, I don't have my notes because I'm running a little bit behind today. <laughs> um, so in April, I talked about this a couple months ago, but now we're six months out. We're going to be doing our team mission trip to Amman, Jordan, okay? So it's April 12th through the 21st. And basically, this is what I talked about a couple months ago. We're going to be serving in the refugee camps um, in, in Jordan. And uh, I, I talked about this before, but this is something that's, that's been on my heart for, for a long time now. Now, you all know that we have kind of a long-term uh, relationship and, and kind of mission in, in Haiti. And we're going to continue that. And, and that's kind of just long-time work. I, I also want us to be very, very present and engaged and and kind of also present things, kind of some of the more forgotten uh, people and, and not only our cities, not only in our country, but in our world. And, you know, when war lasts as long as this war has lasted, people tend to forget, you know. But you have kids right now in their preteen ages that, that actually grew up <laughs> in a refugee camp, like if you can imagine that like growing up in the middle of, of war and conflict. And lately, just, it's just, just God has put my heart, what does it look like for us to be a part 
of demonstrating the love of Jesus uh, to people who are often forgotten, to the people who are kind of just the, the, the most um, uh, worse off than, than, than we can imagine. And so uh, there's this great ministry um, that is uh, doing some awesome things there. And so we're not like going to, you know, figure this out ourselves. Um, there's actually a ministry run by Jordanians in Jordan that, are, um, that, that, that takes teams. And so we're going to be uh, partnering with them and working with them and just coming to serve. And it's like, hey, whatever you need us to do, we're going to do. Uh, a few other vineyards throughout the U.S. Have, have, done this, have done this trip. And so my, my goal is to, uh, to be able to bring a team as well. And so, I, I, you know, I, I do want to give some, some clarity here. So there are times when we do stuff in Haiti and, like, only, only I can go, only a couple of us to go. And then there are times when we, when we bring a team. This is one of those times where we bring a team. And so um, we are looking for people who want to join this team. We have five slots available. This is also one of those things where if there's no team, then it's, then it's not going to happen. Like, this isn't like a Jeremy thing. Oh, Jeremy's going to go like, no, this is a church thing, and, and we're, we're going to engage with this the best we can. And so it's, uh, it's the Monday after Easter through that week. And so I, I try to do it in, in a couple ways. One, uh, when, they, um, when this ministry has the least amount of volunteers, um, so I want to choose that slot, but also that's also during spring break. So I'm hoping that that, that can kind of help with some people that might want to go. Um, the cost right now was roughly $1,300. That's because that's where tickets are right now. Uh, but obviously, the closer you get, the more expensive they get. So I just, I want to encourage you to begin praying about that, to begin thinking about that. Um, this is a huge opportunity and something that I hope that we can continue to do. Um, the, the reality is, and this is, a, this is a different conversation, we won't be able to bring a team to Haiti for a long time. Um, and so I, I want to make sure that we're still ge- engaging as a, as a larger community, um, not just staff, but as a larger community engaging with outreach uh, throughout the world. We good with that? All right. So... Uh, give me one second. I'm going to adjust this because it's very annoying. And um, so I saw, I was really grateful to be able to actually spend time with uh, a lot of family this, these last few days. Um, and my brother and, and, and his wife and, and my niece were, were, uh, were here who I only get to see once a year. And uh, sometimes twice, hopefully twice moving forward. Um, but as I'm looking at my niece and she's just like, just running laps around the house. Uh, she's two years old right now. Just, just adorable little thing. And she's just, so she's kind of like my brother, and she goes like 100 miles an hour, or she's asleep. <laughs> it's like one of two things, right? And so I was talking to her mom. I was like, Mary, it just seems like those are like her only two modes. She's like, yeah, except now that she has temper tantrums, and those are at 100 miles an hour. I was like, oh, that's fun. Bye. I'll see you later. <laughs> So, got back in last night, and, um, and so just really excited to enter into the season. December 1st, uh, we start the season of Advent, and over these next four weeks, we're going to be looking at invitations. And so, in this season, for many, it's a season of joy, a season of family, For many others, it's a season of difficulty, a season of loneliness, right? And I've been on on both sides of those. Um, And so I think it's important that we acknowledge that. 
that we get to embrace the season of, of, of joy, but also remember that for many it's a season that is not one they look forward to. And so what we want to do is say, what might God be calling us into in this season? Because there's something he has for all of us. There's an invitation that he is sending out to each one of us. But the question is, are we open to hear it? You know, for the former, it's easy to be thankful. It's easy to have hope in this time. For the latter, it's harder to experience love in this season. Sometimes you just want it to be over. Like January can't come soon enough because of all the reminders it brings. And so in this season, we're discovering the invitation to hope, to joy, to love, and to peace. And so today we're going to be talking about this invitation to hope that God has for us. And what, what that means to actually hope and what God is, is saying to us in the middle of it right now and today. And so let's, let's begin with Jesus and Mary, Jesus' mom this time, not my sister-in-law, Jesus and Mary and Joseph bringing Jesus to the temple uh, right after he was born. So Jewish law states that after you have a child and, and it's a boy, you bring him to the temple to be circumcised, okay? So that's what's going on here. They're bringing Jesus to the temple. They're on this long journey, and they're presenting him in the temple. So they're in the temple, and then we meet this guy named Simeon. All right, Luke 2, 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So Simeon was this person who just spent a lot of time in the temple. Um, we imagine that he's, he's probably an older gentleman, but he's someone who just was close to God, and he just remained close to God. And it's also important to understand kind of the Holy Spirit in this context because it's funny because Luke is writing this after all this has taken place. But there was no kind of concept of, of like the spirit like we see here regularly because that didn't happen until after Pentecost. Right. So Pentecost came and it was like, oh, wow, this Holy Spirit is for everyone. But before that, the Holy Spirit would only come on particular people at particular times for particular reasons. And so we have this scene here where there's this guy kind of hanging out at the temple who has this regular encounter with God that just wasn't a normal thing. And so there's an indication that there's something special that's about to happen here. And so let's, let's move on in verse 27. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. So we have this, this huge thing happening, right? Like, Simeon is saying, we're finally here. This thing I've been waiting for for so long, this thing that you have promised has happened. And he praises God. Says, Thank you, Lord. I'm done. You can, you can whatever you want to do now, like, I, I am satisfied. I am fulfilled. And so what was, why was this hope so important? Now, for those who are familiar with the Christian story, we know that, that, that this hope was a, a hope of rescue. The word that we just read, consolation, means the comforting of Israel, which indicates what? They were not comforted. In fact, they were oppressed, constantly in danger, suffering. And there was a hope, but there was an expected hope. There was a hope that one day God was going to send help. Because he had done it over and over again. But that it was going to happen this time. The thing is, it has been a long time since they had gotten any kind of reprieve. So in the Old Testament, we see times when, when Israel was was joyous and things were going well and they were prosperous and everything was, was just all good. And then times when they weren't, when things were hard and rough and they were oppressed. But this time was different. It had been 400 years of suffering. That's a certain kind of hope, right? To say, I, we, we are waiting for this. Because you would think... 400 years later, maybe it's not going to come. <laughs> when your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents keep talking about this hope, you're like, is it though? And he's not like a 10-year-old. He's not a 20-year-old. He's, he's been around for a little while. And this hope is still here. There's another key phrase in this passage. He was waiting. He was waiting. Now, this is, this is one of those where we kind of have to bring this word into the present. Because waiting, like that can mean for us something different than it meant there. So waiting is like I am waiting for the bus, right? That's what we use waiting for. Like I'm waiting for my food, right? I'm waiting for this message to be over. You know, I know there's a couple of you. It's okay. <laughs> We're almost there. But you're just, you know, you're waiting. <laughs> Thank you, Judy. At least I got one who's not waiting for that. Kristen couldn't wait. She just walked out right now. She's like, I'm done. <laughs> This is what happens when you heckle me. <laughs> and so, but the waiting that, that, that we see here is different. It means a looking forward to, an eager anticipation 
that Dan was, was talking about, you know, they might be giving Bluebell outside. Y'all remember when um, Bluebell had that recall? For those of you who don't live here, let me tell you, it was a big deal. And when they finally came back, the utter joy from everyone all around, <laughs> everywhere. I mean, they just emptied the grocery stores of all the Bluebell ice cream once it came back. People were waiting, but that was a different kind of waiting. That was an eager anticipation. There was a knowing that it will come back. Bluebell will come back. So there's a certain, there's a difference, right? When we talk about hope, there's a difference between waiting and eagerly anticipating. There's a difference between, okay, I'm just sitting here twiddling my thumbs or sitting here in, in kind of the dark and sitting there with, 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 with a notion that something is coming. What's interesting is Simeon has this hope, and about 10 years prior, so in about, yeah, 9, 6 or 7 B.C., um, there was a rebellion uh, by, by a few in, in Israel against the Roman Empire. And so we've got to remember that Israel was occupied by the Roman Empire. And so there were those that were trying to fight against it. And so they had a, this rebellion to, to take back the land and become whole once again. And that rebellion failed. And they were killed. So you can imagine, like, during this rebellion, there's, there's a little bit of hope, right? Like, hey, maybe, maybe it's going to happen this time. And then it doesn't. And yet, that hope remains. I think one thing we can learn from Simeon is how to have hope even after disappointment. That's one of the hardest things, right? It's just like, oh, this didn't work out. Why would I hope anymore? So let's, let's unpack that word just a, a little bit more, just a little bit more. So the, the reason is, is because even I have had a misunderstanding of hope, you know, for, for a long time, and I've had to continually update my understanding of this word. I was in a conversation with somebody, and they kept using the word ironic. And I'm like, I don't think that word means what you think it means. You ever come across that? <laughs> As my English teachers all nod in unison. <laughs> well, it's the same thing with hope. Sometimes we use that word, not always knowing what it means. So one of the things we equate hope with is, is, is optimism, right? Now, there are some of us who are just naturally optimistic. Like me, I'm, a natural, I'm an optimist. Right? I, I see the glass is half full. I'm like, hey, it's going to work out. That's just kind of my natural orientation, um, at least outwardly. Um, and then there are some who are, are more what? Pessimists? Pessimistic. Now, they would call themselves realists, but, you know, we call them... Um. <laughs> 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 
and then we actually do have realists, right? So we have like optimism, pessimism, and then realism, right? And, and so kind of these different orientations to how things are going to work out. So like I said, outwardly, I'm like, I'm the best case scenario kind of guy. I'm like, whatever the best case scenario is, I'm like, yeah, that, we can do that. I can get this done in 30 minutes, <laughs> three hours later. <laughs> Kim is often calling me on my, uh, my optimism. She's like, Jeremy, you think you can do this in an hour. It never happens. But inwardly, I can often be more of a pessimist, right? Like when it comes to like my own situations or, or what's happening, I can, like my mind can go to the worst case scenario, right? Like just automatically. And so, some, you know, so often we're a mix of two, but some are kind of oriented different ways based on different circumstances. And so whether we're optimists or pessimists or realists, it all is based on circumstance. It's based on logic. It's based on personal past experience, right? So if we think about it, if we think about our orientation. Think about, okay, like for, for a second, think about it. Am I an optimist, a pessimist, or a realist? Okay, now as you think about that, what's that usually based on? It's based on circumstance, right? It's based on evaluating data. Like, okay, well, it, just, it doesn't look good, so this isn't going to happen, right? It's all, and it's also based on past experience. It's based on what we have seen happen in the past. And we either believe in the opposite or believe it's going to repeat. And so we might even say that it's based on hope. But in Scripture, hope is not defined this way. Hope is not defined as optimism. And that's how I've often defined it, but have come to realize and come to learn and come to experience that hope and optimism are not the same thing. Hope is not based on something eventually working out. Hope stands in the gap between despair and fulfillment. Hope is based on our position towards God. So what scripture calls for, what God calls, is for us to choose Hope doesn't just happen. We must walk towards it, even when it feels like there's nothing to hope for. It's something we have to move towards. To begin this journey requires us to want beyond that which we can contain, that which we can attain. And so we have to be able to want something more than what's in our present. But it's actually not found in us getting that but found in our posture towards God. So I'm going to continue to break this down because I know it can feel a little bit abstract right now, but just, just keep going with me and, and we're going to break this down more and more. But just remember that hope has to be chosen. It's not based on our circumstance. Our source of hope is found in our own poverty. As we recognize our own lack, we can draw upon the well, the well of Christ as our sole hope. And as our soul's hope. 
And so when I say poverty, I'm talking about kind of the, the, the full expression of that. As we recognize that I actually don't have anything and I need God for everything, that's when we can begin to choose If we have everything we need, then our hope remains in what we have. If we have everything we need, then our hope remains in it. It's like, oh, well, I hope I get this. And, and, but it's based on what we have. But we have to be able to hope beyond that. If we have little, then our place of hope is shattered in disappointment or failure. Have you ever had that happen? Like you were really hoping for something and it just didn't happen and you were just crushed. But hope can actually persist through that. Because that's the difference between hope and optimism. Hope can persist through the disappointment, through the failure. Hope doesn't exist because we know everything is going to turn out the way we want it. Hope exists in the frame of uncertainty. Focusing on remaining present and honest while looking forward to the future, that waiting for, right? Looking forward to the future, steadfast in a posture of faith. Like whether or not I know it's going to work out, I'm going to stay in this place of hope. Now, I know, it seems a bit counterintuitive, right? Like the whole, I thought like the whole idea of hope was that this was going to work out. And so if it doesn't work out, why would I have hope, right? Well, welcome to faith. It's counterintuitive, <laughs> In Judges 6, in the story of Gideon, God comes to Gideon and is like, Gideon, I'm with you. And Gideon's like, if you're with us, then why are we being oppressed by the Midianites? If you're with us, why do things suck so bad right now? But that's just like, this is this life of faith. Something we talk about all the time, the upside-down kingdom. Things don't appear as we expect. And so hope is not placed in what we can do and what's going to happen, but placed in God. And so choosing hope doesn't negate the struggle or the suffering, nor does it ignore all of that. It's a choice we make in spite of it. It's a choice we make. And so this results in a few things. We have less fear in our circumstances, like whether it's going to work out or not, because no matter what, we're going to stay in this place of hope. We have more discernment in God's movement in our lives. See, as, as we reorient and we're more focused on hope than on the circumstance, we can actually see God moving and follow him in that. But often when we're so laser-focused on the circumstance, it becomes about that, and our hope wavers with that. You with me so far? Tell me if you're not. Okay. And ultimately, it brings safety. And it's not the kind of safety where it's like, oh, I'm free from all bad things. No, that's not what I mean by safety. It's, it's it's this deep, just security in God no matter what. Like, when we orient this way, that's what, that's what this brings. Just a deep, 
security. And I think that's what a lot of us are looking for more than we realize. Because we are in a time and, 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 and space of deep insecurity all around us. And so instead of doing things to try to make our own self feel safe, we can actually focus on our unwavering focus in God and hope in God, and he makes us feel safe. There was somebody else in the temple that day. Her name was Anna, and she, she spent a lot of time there. Let's read uh, verse 36. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been buried only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple but stayed there day and night, worshiping God and fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, began praising to God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. So we have two examples here in this same story, two people, Simeon and Anna. Now, what they have in common are these are two people who are just spending time with God, that are just taking the time to just be with God. And so I think one thing we have to look at when, when we look at the, the, them in this temple is that they weren't, like, they weren't like religious folk that just did the things that they were supposed to do and, and left, right? They, they, were, they were people who were just like, I want to be next to God and I'm going to do that. And so one thing we have to be aware of, and, and one thing I'm, I'm always concerned about when, when we talk about this, this, this relationship with God is that it becomes like this formalism or becomes like this, this, uh, this, this, this bondage where it's like, I have to do this in order for this to happen. I have to be perfect and holy enough in order to experience the hope of God. And that's not what I'm saying here, and that's not what's happening here. What I am saying is that as we become more aware of the presence of God, as we become more tuned in and, and, and more, more real with God about what's happening and just spending time with him in a regular way, we begin to experience the Holy Spirit. Now, one thing I mentioned was that in this time, the Holy Spirit came on specific people at specific times for a specific reason, right? Now, later on in Pentecost, it came whenever, right? And which is why we can all experience the Spirit right now. So we're in this weird time because Simeon, the Holy Spirit is not supposed to respond the way he did in that moment. But the way we see it in the Scripture, it was just like Simeon had a regular encounter with the Holy Spirit. It said that the Holy Spirit was on him, which indicates when you, when you look at the, the original text, it's like, oh, he just was on him regularly, like Simeon had this regular encounter with God. And then what happens is the Spirit says, hey, I'm going to give you this promise. I'm going to give you this hope. And then he gives him this revelation. And so in this whole process, we find that Simeon's hope, the source of that hope, was in fact God. It wasn't, it wasn't human hope. 
See, human hope led to the rebellion that took place years prior, and that was going to take place another 10 years later. There's another rebellion that happened after that. That's what human hope does. There's nothing wrong with that. But I want us to go from human hope to godly hope, a hope where he gives us something to hold on to. And we can hold on to that and stay focused on that. But that comes in our devotion to him and learning to just be with him, to spend time with him, to where it becomes regular, not forced, not condemning, none of those things, but just normal. And so promise was revealed. So what is your expectation? And that's what I want to get into in just a little bit, to actually think about what we're actually expecting. And how do we handle expectation that, that hasn't been fulfilled? What do we do when that happens? You ever feel like you kind of have like a, a hope meter? <laughs> or like sometimes it's like at 10, sometimes it's at like 80. Most times it's like at 40. <laughs> so yeah, wh- wh- what do we do with expectation when it, when, it, when it hasn't been fulfilled? Or what do we do when it has been fulfilled? Can we draw closer to God so he can reveal the hope he has for us? So we can find a new source for it. I remember two distinct times in the recent years where I've had kind of this slow buildup of disappointments. And I remember it was around the holidays, it was around December, towards the end of December, as I'm getting ready for the next year, and I just, I'm, I'm sitting down with and praying, and God's like, Jeremy, you don't get excited about anything anymore. And that was like, cut me kind of deep. But I was like, yeah, no, I don't. I'm tired. Several things have not worked out. This is not fun. <laughs> it was like, it finally hit me with like this slow buildup. I was like, one disappointment here, and then several, and they just kind of built up to this thing where I was just, I got some more times I wasn't excited about anything. And God decided to highlight that. <laughs> and he was like, so why don't you? Why don't you shift that? In my mind, I was like, have you not seen the last five years? (laughs) Why would I hope? And and it happened again after a a series of disappointments. And I started to feel fatigued and a little lethargic. And And God was like, hey, You've forgotten how to hope. I'm like, yeah, I have. And this time, I'm like, show me how. (laughs) Because I really don't know how to do it anymore. Several years ago, 
I had a really, really rough surgery. And I found out a few weeks later that the mass had come back and I had to have surgery again. Um, and, and so I was not in a good mood. Because <laughs> I don't want to go through all this pain any, again and, and the recovery and all that, all that mess. And I just remember God saying, hey, don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. Just this next one, you're, you're, you're going to be fine. Don't worry. And like, I had hope for the second surgery. And you know what happened? It was worse than the first one. <laughs> like, Lord, how can you tell me to have hope for this and then it's not any better? I don't understand. He didn't respond. <laughs> not, not, not initially. But come to find out that second surgery wasn't the end. I had another two years of surgery and awful medication and all that stuff that comes with it. But in each one, I was then able to still focus on hope. And so the difference is I'm walking into this now. For these next two years, I have a different posture. Because if I didn't have that, it would have been a miserable two years. And at the end of the day, it worked out. It didn't come nearly when I thought it was. And yet, I still had to choose to hope even when there wasn't any reason to. Because when I do, it keeps me grounded when things work out and continuing to keep my hope in him. So it's like disappointment and failure isn't the end. Because I know for me for a long time, like, it felt like the end. You ever felt like that? Where it's like you have some huge disappointment and it just feels like the end? The thing is, when it doesn't work out and we kind of jump back into this place of hope, we realize it's actually not the end. And we're able to keep going. And then when I haven't had hope and situations worked out, It, it's been, it went back to being situational, right? And so even though things worked out, I'm like looking to recreate that same thing over again so I can get the next thing to work out. But when I stay in this posture of hope, no matter what, then even when it works out, I, I'm able to stay grounded and stay humbled and not anxious. So much of our anxiety today in our culture is based on the future. So much of the faith in Christ is based on our hope in the future. In which there is no anxiety. And so I want to encourage us in this season to begin to practice that. To take hold of that. This can only happen through the Holy Spirit. As we respond to God's invitation, we can see his indications of hope for us because often it's in the things we don't expect. 
Simeon knew he was going to see the Messiah. I bet you he didn't expect for it to be a baby. Simeon had a practical awareness of God in his life. His devotion helped him to find this awareness. Hope is our unwavering focus on God. It may change based on our circumstances, but is not tied to our circumstances. God's hope is an eager anticipation. And as we celebrate the birth of Jesus this month, we recall the anticipation of Israel while reflecting on our own anticipation, which I think for many of us is just the ultimate peace of Christ in our lives, right? We just want to be at peace. Shalom. Everything well. Everything whole. And our hope can do that. All right, some practical tips. Take an inventory of your hope this week. Is your hope on high because of the season we're in, only to come down once this season is over? Is your hope lacking because of disappointments and failures? Ask God what hope he is inviting you into. I forgot to put the link, but these will be available online if you want them. Number two, make a list of things you are waiting for. Remember that waiting means to look forward to, right? Pray about this list every day this week. Like, bring it to the front. So you pray about this list while staying focused on the present. Choose hope while not trying to figure out how this list is going to become reality or trying to make it come to fruition on your own. I know it's a bit of a paradox, right? Just a little bit. Hope doesn't fear if these things will work out or not, but instead places them before God as we keep our focus on him. So it's like, okay, I'm hoping in the future, but I'm remaining focused in the present. I'm remaining present. So what happens right now is that we have this circumstantial hope in the future and our mind is on the future and everything is focused on the future and it's very anxious. But our hope is on the future. We remain in the present, focused on God. Number three, practice spending time with God in a natural way. In a season of busyness, lots of activities and people around, it's easy to lose this part. But give it special attention, especially because of this season. And God will show you his promise. Not everyone had that same promise that Simeon had, right? He got a special promise. He was going to be able to see the Messiah before he died. Like Israel had this whole promise of like the coming Messiah, but Simeon had a special promise. He was going to see the Messiah with his own eyes. Something a lot of people didn't get to, get to see. So what is God's promise for you in this season? Like, I can't get that from up here. I can't tell you what that is. That's something he has for you. And something he wants you to hold on to. So how do you spend time with God in a natural way? Take a walk. It's a beautiful time of year which no one else can say in the U.S. 
except us. Do it while you're folding clothes, washing dishes. It's great to have these quiet times, but we can also learn to have these times with God throughout the day. Like when, when we look for him as we're driving, we look for him in just the regular activities of the day. And as we look, turns out the Bible says we're going to find. Let's stand. So we're going to enter into communion right now and also have our Advent reading. As we do so, I want you to think about that question I asked earlier about your expectation. What your expectation is right now. You know, on our practical tips, we make a list of your hopes. I think you all can think of one right now. I want you to bring that to the table. Because the communion table is where we celebrate the actual fulfillment of the promise that God made. And as we, as we reflect on that fulfillment, as we come back to that fulfillment, as we come back to that promise, I believe we can experience that same promise that God has for us, whatever that might be. That he'll reveal to you a promise that he has for you. That he'll reveal to you a hope that he wants you to hold on to. Because the communion table is a table where Jesus lives. Where we get to experience him. And so we practice open communion here. And so what that means is we invite everyone to the table. And if you're just like unsure about this whole hey, what, what, what does this hope in Jesus thing mean? I want to invite you to come to the table and experience it for yourself. And then also come up for prayer. And so after communion, we're going to have a time of prayer and a, and a continuing time of worship. Let's partake.